Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Hello, welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and I am very excited and humbled to have our guest with us here today. She is author Sandy Phillips Kirkham, and she is the author of the book, Let Me Pray Upon You. It is the breaking free from a minister's sexual abuse, and it's her own personal story. And she's also an advocate for for victims of this type of abuse. So we're very interested to hear what you have to share with us today, Sandy. Thank you so much for your willingness to spend time with us and be on the show. Well, I appreciate being here and being able to share my story uh, with Mm -hmm. other victims and church leaders as well. Mm -hmm. So before we, we jump into your story, just tell us a little bit about who you are today and what's going on in your, in your life, and then we'll dig uh, into well, the deeper stuff. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, lived here all my life. I've been married to my husband for 42 years. We have two children and two perfect granddaughters and two fairly well-behaved dogs, <laughs> and uh, yeah. life is good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, I appreciate the fact that you sent me a copy of your book to look over in advance. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was just going to kind of skim it and get familiar with things, but I have not been able to put it down and I'm not um, finished with it yet, but there is so much in here. Uh, it's it's a really great book. I'm going to have the link to it in our show notes and I encourage all of our listeners to go get it. So I'm not sure which which part of your story you want to go through today or, or to summarize because mm-hmm. there is so much there, but can you just tell us a little bit about your story and about how these things unfolded? Well, I was attending church from the time I was about eight years old. Um, My parents were divorced. They didn't attend church, but I went with my best friend. So from the very beginning, church was a safe place for me. I found it to be a joyful place. And as I got older, I became more involved in the church. I taught Sunday school. I sang in the choir. I was baptized when I was 13. Uh, I was growing in my faith. It was just a place I just absolutely loved. And it's no stretch of the imagination to say if the doors were open, I was there. Shortly after I turned 16, our church hired a youth pastor, and he was different than anyone we'd ever had before. He was very charismatic. He dressed the way we did. He he knew our music. He drove a convertible. You know, in the vernacular of the 70s, he was hip. And he had a persona about him. He changed the very culture of our youth group and our church. The dynamics were just different with him around. Mm -hmm. However, Uh, Shortly after arriving at our church, a young woman from his first church came forward and accused him of sexual inappropriate behavior. The elders confronted him. He said he'd never do it again. It was a mistake. He begged forgiveness. And they allowed him to continue as our youth pastor and never giving any information to the congregation. Within six months of that accusation, he was kissing me in my hallway. And I remember I was stunned. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. He kept telling me how wonderful I was and how great it was I was involved in the church. And so I just thought I misunderstood because I couldn't believe that my pastor would be doing anything he shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. It took about a year of him grooming me, manipulation, um, setting me up really for his final goal, which was to have sex with me, which he did. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, um, I felt trapped. Growing up in the church, I knew sex before marriage was wrong. He was married. He had two children. And yet he continued to tell me this was God's will, that we were married in God's eyes. And it was because of me. He could do all these wonderful things in the church. 
And so, you know, as a teenager, I didn't know how to process it. So I accepted it. And the abuse lasted for five years until his actions were discovered. At that point, he was given a going away party. He was moved to the next church. And I was called in by the elders and told that because of my behavior, I was to leave the church. And um, even now, to say those words, it was devastating to me. I love that church. Mm. So for 27 years, I kept that secret. And church became a difficult thing for me. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I attended, but it was trigger factors. I, I just... I couldn't pray anymore. It, it, it changed me spiritually for that 27 years that I hid that secret. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just can't even imagine it's, you know, as I'm reading your story, to be honest, I'm like, if this were marketed as a fiction book, I would kind of go, Oh, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but just the extent of what he was allowed to get away with and the extent to which he put on a show for others you know, and, and how can you balance this preaching about scripture and about family and about faithfulness on Sunday morning and then doing the, the manipulative, cruel things that he did to you? It's like, how can that all be wrapped up in one person? And I, right. you know, I can't process that as a nearly 50 year old woman. There's no way a, a teenager can right. think through these kinds of things. It, right. It's got to be devastating and confusing. Yeah, I felt like I was in a trap uh, with no way out. I I had these people surrounding me in the church that cared for me and loved me, but and yet I didn't feel I could go to anyone. First of all, you know, our abusers will tell you no one's going to believe you, mm-hmm. and if you do tell, it's going to be your fault. And I was old enough to know that this would be a bombshell if I were to come yeah. forward with this. So I didn't want that burden. And as many victims, we feel guilty and shame that it's somehow it's our fault that we didn't say no, or I should have done something to stop him. And so it's not only about protecting the secret and protecting him, but it's about protecting me. And as Mm -hmm. the years went on, you know, I didn't tell my husband, I was ashamed. I carried for 27 years guilt and shame and think about it. I didn't want my friends to know that I've been thrown out of a church. I mean, how bad do you have to be to be thrown out of a church? And so that secret took an emotional toll on me for 27 years. And Mm -hmm. it was difficult to, you know, hide that from my friends and my husband. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like you're not really connecting with them when you have this whole huge thing that's being secret. And what's so tragic to me is that those, those lies he told you did turn out to be true that then, you know, people didn't believe you Right. He gets a going away party and you get thrown out of the church, like mm-hmm. as manipulative and deceptive as he was, like the church played into his hands and and did just that. And, and that shocks me and blows me away. And I'm like, how can how can um, we be at this place where I we're think, so eager to sweep a sin under the under the rug that we do this? But I think you have to understand church culture to an extent. This was a man that they saw only one side of. And yeah. so and we have to remember this is a probably a man, rabbi, priest, or mm-hmm. whatever, who's baptized your children, who's married your your spouse with you. I mean, they have become intimately involved with the congregation. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult for the congregation or the church leadership to see them other than that person they've seen. And mm-hmm. I think wrongly, they fall back on scripture to say, well, God forgives us. We should forgive. We shouldn't judge. And James 3.1 talks about a stricter judgment for those in Mm -hmm. leadership, and they're in a higher position, so there should be a higher consequence for this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. And if you understood the devastation it causes to victims and how it contaminates our spiritual life and how it really takes away what we once knew and believed, 
and our trust in the church, I, I would hope the church leadership would say, this isn't something we're going to risk and we're not mm-hmm. going to allow this to happen ever again in our church. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to hire and rehire men who have been found guilty of sexual misconduct. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think we're not there yet. I I know with many victims that I speak of, there is still a a misplaced sympathy for the abuser when he's in that position of a pastor, priest, or a rabbi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you you talked about extending Christian grace to him, but where was that grace when they spoke with you? Yes. Uh, And why didn't you get the grace too? And and I remember thinking, you know, he can be forgiven, but I can't. And um and, and that's devastating. And that is something I carried with myself for 27 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And, and also remember, as I said, he was very charismatic. So he not only manipulated and groomed me, but he manipulated and groomed the congregation as well, because mm-hmm. they need to surround themselves with people who they know are going to support them no matter what. They need to know that there are people that even when there are questions are brought up about their character, people will defend them. Um, so yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's an entire kind of a game that they play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what shocked me reading your story was how deliberate he was about the deception, not just with you, but with everybody mm-hmm. and how long, you know, like you said, he groomed you for over a year. Like, like this was all deliberate. This was not a, a moment of passion or a Correct. mistake, or this is like a, a, deviant way of thinking just like ingrained in who he like it's how he operates and I that was just really shocking and eye-opening to me and um and that's how many abusers operate I mean whether it's clergy abuse or abuse within a marriage or any kind of a relationship you know I I, it's almost like they have a playbook that they go by because and then isolation is another technique and tool Mm -hmm. that they use because they need you away from anyone who's going to give you any kind of understanding or guidance of what's really happening to you. Mm -hmm. Because for all that time, I just assumed I'd had an affair with a married man who was a pastor. That's Mm -hmm. how I saw the relationship. And it wasn't until I had that trigger factor. And of course, if you read the book in the first chapter, Mm -hmm. where I had this trigger factor that just overwhelmed me. And for the first time I recognized that, Hey, wait a minute, that's not what happened here. And, and he hurt me and he had no right to do what he did to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, 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 it took me 27 years to get there, but I did get there. Yeah. And and I think that's just a tactic of the devil of our enemy too, to isolate us, you know, to lie, manipulate our thinking and, and, you know, discourage that outside influence that might have a better Correct, because they know the truth is going to set you free is, is, you know, if you understand what was done to you and what's being done to you, then you can say, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't right. And what he's doing is wrong. But Mm -hmm. as long as your abuser is controlling you and and giving you the narrative of what he wants you to believe, then it's going to be very difficult to see something otherwise. And, you know, a trap is what most abuse victims will feel. And people say, wow, they just leave. Well, when you feel trapped, it doesn't matter if there's a way out. If you don't mm-hmm. see that way out, right. it doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 And I, the part about, there was a woman who suspected something mm-hmm. was up and mm-hmm. approached you about it, but you couldn't tell her the truth. And then even still he, you know, he got onto you for. Yes. For it was, it was one of my, and- yeah, it was one of my youth group leaders. And she, you know, began to think something's not right here. The way that he's behaving around her. I wasn't happy. So there were times I'd be fine. You know, I was crying. She did approach me and I was very close to saying something, but I can remember thinking he will kill me if I say anything. I, I just, he, I can't take the wrath of what will happen if, if I tell her. She then went to him and asked him 
and he became very angry. He accused her of not trusting him and how dare he accuse her of him of something like that to a point that he just said to her, if you can't trust me, then maybe you need to find another church, which they eventually did. And that's another tactic. It, it's a bullying tactic, mm-hmm. you know, to say, okay, how dare you accuse me? Um, yeah. If that were someone else and they were falsely accused, their first reaction would be, oh my God, no, I, I would never do that and, and, and be horrified that they were yeah. This man was defiant. How dare you accuse me? And you need to leave the church. Mm. So I guess that would be a, a warning flag that I, I want to ask you later about, you know, how warning flags. Are the, but before we get there, I the other tragic part of this story is there was the girl before you that yes. came forward and tried to get help and was shut down. Right. Then there's you. And we've already discussed how your church you know, gave him a going away party and excommunicated you, so to speak. And then there's another girl at right. the next church. And it's just like this. They're just perpetuating it by like, oh, let's just move him on somewhere else. Yeah. Then it's just then there's just this unending line of victims that they're the church is feeding him is feeding yes, the wolf lambs. They are enabling. And, you know, I, I've, I've often said when when that first woman, young woman came forward and they did nothing because they wanted to save his job and they wanted him to continue on the ministry. I don't think God ever intended me to be collateral damage so that this man could keep his job. And that's what they did. They were willing to look at the congregation and say, we're not going to give you any information, but we're willing to risk your mother, your daughter, whoever, so that this man can continue in ministry. Now, after the third incident in our church denomination, they did remove him from the denomination and he went to another denomination where he remains in good standing with that denomination aware of his past. I don't know how much of the book I want to talk about, but in the book I talked that I did confront him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said to me was, uh, well, I've been identified as a sexual addict. And I, I, I sat there and I thought, I don't know what you say to that. Uh, his supervisor was sitting there and I thought, he thinks this is acceptable that this man can remain in ministry. Now, he says that to me, but his congregation wasn't aware of that. His congregation, his elders had no idea about his past. Mm-hmm. So this is still happening today. Yeah. And and I think, too, another problem with that is when the church tries to deal with it on their own, then there's no criminal right. record. Right. So, I mean, like even you go to a nursery, you know, to watch toddlers and you have to do a background check. Right. But if the church is busy covering up for the guy, it's not going to show up in a background check. No. And the other problem we have is that at the age of 16, when this occurred back in 1972, that was the age of consent. So we didn't break the law. However, had he been my high school teacher, it would have been against the law. So pastors don't always fall into, so like a doctor, a psychiatrist, if they have any kind of a sexual relationship with their patients, they lose their license and they never practice again. That's not true of pastors and rabbis Mm -hmm. and priests. So we need, there are 13 states that are beginning to recognize and putting them under the category of counseling so that we need to get to a point where they too are responsible yeah. um, for their actions and, and they're removed because of it. Um, but we're not yeah. there yet. Yeah, that that is huge. That is a big one. And I mean, if we can't be accountable for responsible leadership in the church, then where would you be? We're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're way off track. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing that I struggle with. I mean, it's shocking to read this and go, this happens right under people's noses and they have no idea. Like you said, he was he showed a different side to them. And I'm sure we can all think of, you know, amazing leaders in churches or what have you, where we would be shocked if we heard something like this from them. 
but but the flip side is I you know I don't want to go around being suspicious of everybody right, and right. and not trusting anybody and which is where I tend to land anyway because of my own past stuff. But you know how do how do we find that balance of trusting but not not just accepting everything at face value? I think I think churches are doing a better job of, of understanding that because of it, it, it is a topic that's out there now. You know, it wasn't as well known. I mean, yeah. no one 25, 30 years ago, even maybe 20 years ago, would even think about accusing a mm. pastor or clergy of any kind of sexual misconduct. So we're so the awareness has been heightened, which is good. You know, churches now are putting policies in place that says you can't counsel a woman alone or have, have anyone in your office. You have to have a window in your office. You shouldn't ha- be in meetings with just alone with anyone. So I think they're doing a better job. But as far as recognizing, you know, people had said to me long after it was over, I I remember one time when whatever, and Mm -hmm. I thought that was a little odd when he said this to you. So I tell people, trust your gut. Mm -hmm. So if something doesn't seem right, just be more observant. Doesn't mean you just make an accusation right away. Your gut's going to tell you this just doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Then you need to pursue it in the sense of paying more attention. And the other thing I tell people is we we give our clergy a automatic trust and an automatic pass on a lot of things. So if you're if you're concerned, take that same situation and say, would I accept this behavior in my next door neighbor? So in other words, if the pastor's being overly friendly to a young girl, hugging her more, being paying more attention to her. If that were my neighbor doing that, would I find that to be odd? Um, so yeah. I use that as a standard. Again, your pastor is going to be in a different position because of who he is. But there's a line that gets crossed sometimes that we see, but we don't want to see. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that's a good point. We see, but we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And I, so I kind of have, I call it spidey senses. I know that's, <laughs> you may call it intuition or whatever, but just I um, went to school, the Air Force Academy okay. in the 90s. So okay. 10% female. I joke that I spent four years in a men's maximum security prison. So, you know, I've, I've had my share of those kind of interactions. And I, I you know, I think I just kind of developed a spidey sense for something's mm-hmm. not right. And I mm-hmm. need to leave this situation. Mm-hmm. And but it took me a long time to learn to trust that gut feeling because in my mind, I'm like, there's no reason I should be having right. these doubts about this person. You know, everything on the surface seems fine. I, but I, I learned to trust that, that like kind of sick, uneasy feeling of something's mm-hmm. not right and just leave or just, mm-hmm. you know, in my case, I was trying to protect myself. Now right. looking at, you know, if I was trying to protect another person, I would say I wouldn't leave. I would not right. leave that person alone right. with that person that was giving me creepy feelings. I would stay and make sure that that young woman or whoever was not left alone with that guy. Right. I would escort her out the door or take her home with me or whatever. Yeah. Or again, just pay attention. So, you know, next time, how does he respond? Um, or what is he doing the next time? It's just, it's a heightened awareness and, and not allowing our complete trust to blindside us into believing and, and missing the signs. When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. So like a person who is trapped in this situation, like you said, can't see the out, the way out. 
how can we as other people help that person? You know, how could we be a safe place for that person to come forward? Uh, it's so it's so difficult to come forward under any circumstances. Yeah, and especially with the whole, you know, th there's a tendency to blame the victim right. in, in any kind of sexual misconduct case. Yeah. You know, the woman is almost always blamed for mm -hmm. what happened. Or at least um, question why she didn't respond yeah. a different way. Yeah. yeah. Or why didn't you come forward sooner? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you? Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when there's that woman that feels trapped or young young lady and, and she doesn't know who she can go to, how can we kind of signal, hey, I'm, I'm a safe person. Please, please tell me. Well, I think, you know, one thing is to is to to to, to start the conversation with that person to say, you know, I, I don't know if there's what's going on in your life at the time, but things, you know, a little off or you just don't seem like yourself or whatever term would work for that particular individual. Open the door to say, you know, I'm here and whatever's going on, I'm not going to judge and I'm, I'm, I'm a safe person. And if you want me to keep that secret, I can do that. And then you let it go because that person has to be ready to tell uh, and ready to talk, but they need to know that they're not above all going to be judged because that's the key that keeps a lot of victims and that they're going to be believed. And so yeah. those two things can be communicated to that individual. There's a better chance that they're going to come forward and be willing to talk to you. Now, let me speak to the victim because first thing you need to understand as a victim, what happened no, I, let me correct that. I always say it didn't just happen to you. It was done to you. You were targeted. You were sought after because you were vulnerable. You had an emotional need that this person pretended to fill for the sole purpose of taking advantage of you. So it's not your fault what was done to you. You did the best you could under the circumstances and the coping skills you had at the time. You know, so, so for me, I kept looking back and saying, well, I could have done this or I should have done that. No, I, I didn't have that ability at the time. Hindsight, I did, but not at the time. And so I tell victims, you cannot blame yourself. That's the first thing. Second thing, I tell victims, educate yourself. Because once you begin to understand the terms of gaslighting, manipulation, grooming, you can then begin to understand what was done to you and how it was done to you. And that it was a very methodical way of taking control of your life and abusing you. And finally, and the hardest of all, is to tell someone. I, I mean, Believe me, I spent 27 years, I was going to my grave with this secret, yeah. but you can't heal, you can't move on, and you cannot get away from the abuse until you tell someone. Because even though he was out of my life physically, as long as I was holding on to that secret, he was still with me yeah. and he was still in my life. And he was still controlling my thoughts in many ways because the lies he told me, I wasn't pretty, I wasn't I was too fat. I wasn't very smart. All of those things stayed with me until I was able to say, no, that's mm -hmm. not right. And I could only do that after I had told, finally was able to tell someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just so hard to, and that just takes an amazing amount of courage. And like you said, a lot of times we don't have that in that moment. And I don't think that's part of the reason why it often does take women so long to come forward or why they come forward in groups, you know, the fear of judgment and blame. And the, well, I didn't really know all that actually was until I grew up and had daughters of my own. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, abusers will tell us over and over and over. No one's going to believe you. No. And so that stays in our mind. And it's not just.
students. So I'm very open to any speaking engagements if someone is interested mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. And I'm glad you bring up that point too about age. And also I would say gender. I know it's rarer, right. but there are no. situations where men are Absolutely. victims of sexual abuse and it's even harder for them to come forward. It is. And um, so, you know, our prayers and our support definitely go out to any men who may be in that situation too. I know I've been saying women the whole podcast. And I appreciate um, you bringing that up because I usually like to make that distinction because mm -hmm. we do, majority of the time it is with men to women, but it absolutely does happen the other Mm -hmm. way around. Mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, tell us... um, where can people get your book? I assume it's on Amazon and it's on Amazon and it's on my website as well. Okay. And, and it's this. in, yeah. And it's in Kindle uh, version too. Let me pray upon you. And I, I, people need to see the, the cover of it. it says, let me pray with you, but pray is crossed out. And the, the other form of praise in there, I've had it on my desk as I've been reading it, my kids are coming in. They're like, wow, that, you know, yes. they're looking at, so now I'm thinking, you know what, I need to sit down and have a conversation with my kids about these things. You know, I have kids in youth group and, uh, you know, it's not something that you think to talk to your teenagers about right. of like, Hey, just be careful. At youth well, group. and we, in our, in our, yeah, in our coca group, what we tell the kids is that good people can do bad things. And so that even though you see this as a good person, sometimes they can do bad things because mm-hmm. so, you're not, you're not wanting them to feel like every pastor or minister is going to be someone they should be afraid of, but that they need to recognize when something doesn't seem right or someone touches them or does something. Um, Cause you know, for me, when he first kissed me, I mean, had I had someone prior say to me now, look, you know, this is not something that they should be doing. And if he pretends like it's okay, but I didn't have that information. Yeah. You know, yeah, and exactly. so it's, you're right. It's important to, to talk mm-hmm. to our kids about that. Yes. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I, I know I went over again, but there's just so much to unpack there. And I feel like this is a very, very important topic and one that we don't talk about a lot. So right. I, I, I just really appreciate your courage and your vulnerability coming forward and sharing and, you know, paving a better way for, for people that come after us. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah. Thank you. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.